I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 11 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible Study video series, The New Testament Gospels. In episode 11, I continue the discussion of the turning point verse in Mark 10.45 and conclude a discussion of the Gospel of St. Mark with unique quotations, events, and details found only in its pages. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in the episode is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Mark annotated and illustrated. The verse which the NKJV Study Bible calls the turning point verse, Mark 10.45, is a simple declarative sentence, typical of St. Mark's austere style. It is spoken by Jesus himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The most important word here is ransom, which is derived from the Greek word lutron. My purpose in this episode is to explain its spiritual rather than its modern literal meaning, usually related to a payment in an exchange for the return of someone who has been abducted. The illustration is a detail from the Rabula Gospels, the oldest known illumination on the crucifixion which was made in present-day Syria in the 6th century and is in the Laurentian Library in Florence, Italy. Proper understanding of the term ransom is critical for anyone wishing to comprehend the meaning of the Incarnation and Christ's death upon the cross. Credit for their original work on the spiritual and theological meaning of ransom goes to the editors of the Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms. The word ransom occurs only three times in the entire New Testament, in Mark 10.45, in Matthew 20.28, 20, and 1 Timothy 2, verse 6. In the first two cases, it comes from the Greek lutron, based on the Greek verb lutrao, and are spoken by Jesus. In the third example, St. Paul's use is derived from the same root word and has the same meaning. The illustration is a 16th century Polish icon on panel of the crucifixion from the collection of the Historical Museum in Sanok, Poland. Ransom can only be understood in the context of a payment for something, but in the New Testament sense, the payment must be seen in its spiritual context rather than a purely financial context. In the first epistle of St. John, the same idea which St. Mark, St. Matthew, and St. Paul call ransom is called propitiation, found in 1 John 2, 2. In Anglican worship, the quote from St. John's epistle is the last of the comfortable words in the Holy Communion liturgy. The illustration is a 14th century Byzantine icon descent from the cross at the Church of St. Marina, Calapanagiatis, Cyprus. 
In the first century, those who spoke Greek understood ransom in a spiritual context and not a financial context, as I pointed out earlier. In this understanding, a person could be ransomed in three situations. First, from captivity, in this case meaning spiritual, from a, sin from a sinful world. Or second, from imprisonment, in this case meaning in Hades. Or three, in slavery meaning bondage to Satan. The illustration is a circa 8th century apse fresco in a cave church, cave church near Gorain, Turkey. In all three situations, the one who is ransomed owes a debt to the one who pays the ransom. In his death upon the cross, Jesus offered his own life as a ransom payment, a propitiation, as John said for the sins of mankind since the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. The debt we owe him for offering himself for our sins can only be repaid by acknowledging him as the only begotten Son of God and by living by his commandments, which Christians are expected to demonstrate in everyday life by the leading of a righteous life according to his teachings. In episode 7, the opening episode on the Gospel of St. Mark, I noted that one of the continuing themes in the Gospel of St. Mark is that salvation is available to all people. The offer of salvation was made effective by the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross as a ransom for sinful mankind. The illustration is Jesus alone on the cross, a late 19th century opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot from his Life of Christ series in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. I turn now to the 10 unique phrases, scenes, and events which are found only in St. Mark's account. While St. Mark does not recount the Sermon on the Mount or give us a text of the Lord's Prayer, he does offer several interesting details and or insights into the life of Christ. Most, but not all, of these are found in chapters 11 through 15, which represent about one-third of the Gospel of St. Mark. Some occur in the account of the, of the last seven days of Jesus' earthly life. The first example is an early one. He is out of his mind in Mark 3, verses 20 to 21, in the prelude to St. Mark's account of the Pharisees accusing Jesus of having a Beelzebub, or Lord of the Flies, or ruler of demons, in what is often called Jesus' house-divided lecture, and before the parable of the sower. The reference to his own people may have meant Jesus' own circle of friends and possibly his own family, since his mother and brothers are mentioned later in verses 31 and 32, or possibly more broadly the Hebrew people. St. Mark's account makes it clear that like the family, even the disciples at times admitted to not understanding Jesus' message or the purpose of certain of his actions. Again, the illustration is by James Tissot, this time the sower. This uh, next example is found in Mark 9, 43-50, which includes three instances in which St. Mark quoted from Isaiah 
concerning punishment and judgment, each preceded by or followed by a reference to hell in verses 43, 45, and 47. The phrase, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, is the quotation from Isaiah 66, 24. The context is Jesus' lesson on the cost of discipleship. The examples are the loss of a hand, an eye, or a foot. Here I, only, I cite only the first of the three instances. First, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The message is that the loss of a hand, a foot, or an eye is better than the punishment described in verses 49 and 50, for everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. The quotation was offered in the context of a lesson on discipleship. So another message of the text is that Christians can expect to suffer for their faith, which is the implied meaning of the term salt and seasoning in verse 49. Here, salt is used in a metaphorical and not the literal sense. The illustration is an 11th century mosaic of Isaiah at the Neomoni Monastery, Chios, Greece. Next, we have the first of two pairs of accounts of the Gospel of Saint in the Gospel of Saint Mark, in which persons are named or mentioned, which occur nowhere else in the New Testament. The first example is the account of the healing of the blind man in Mark ten forty six to fifty two. Saint Luke recounts the healing, but only Saint Mark gives him a name in verse forty six. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Scholars believe that this indicates that Bartimaeus was widely known in the Christian community of the first century as a follower of Jesus Christ. He was, as St. Mark describes it, one who, quote, followed Jesus on the road, unquote meaning he likely followed him into Jerusalem and was witness to the climactic events of Holy Week. The name Bartimaeus literally means son or bar of Timaeus. The second example of unique use of names is found in Mark 14, verses 50 to 52. The event happens after Judas's betrayal and Jesus's address when, as described in verse 50, quote, they all, meaning the disciples, forsook him and fled. Only in St. Mark's account do we learn of a certain young man with a linen cloth thrown around his naked body who escapes capture by shedding the linen garment and running away, recounted in 16 verses 51 and 52. Many scholars believe that the naked young man was Mark, also called John Mark, and that this account of St. Mark was an indirect and modest way of acknowledging his first-hand experience without mentioning his own name. 
Other speculation in the early church, especially in the East, was that this may have referred not to Mark slash John Mark, but to St. John the Evangelist, an interpretation which was never widely accepted in the Western church tradition. The illustration is a detail from a miniature illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the Codex Aureus of Echternach, made between 1030 and 1050 at the Abbey of Echternach from the collection of the German National Museum in Nuremberg. The third example of unique use of names is found in St. Mark's account of the crucifixion in Mark 15, verses 21 to 32. While all four Gospels identify Simon of Cyrene as the man forced to bear Jesus' cross, only St. Mark gives the names of his son Alexander and Rufus in verse 21. The naming of Alexander and Rufus suggests that they, like Bartimaeus himself, were well known among Christians in the first century. Cyrene was a close coastal city and region or Cyrenia as a region west of today's Egypt and which is now part of Libya. Many Jews lived there at the time of Christ. The illustration is the fifth station of the cross, a second quarter 20th century oil on panel work at St. Josephsville Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, from the AIC bookstore publication Paintings on Light. The fourth and final example of St. Mark's unique use of personal names is found in Mark 16, verses 1 and 7, in which he describes events at the empty tomb on Easter morning. Salome is named in verse 1, along with the Blessed Virgin and Mary Magdalene. In no other account is Salome named as being among the women present who were told by the angel to tell the disciples that Jesus had risen and could be found in Galilee. It is also the only account in which St. Peter's name is inserted in verse 7 in the instruction, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. The illustration is a wide miniature illumination of the three women named in St. Mark's Gospel in tempera and guilt on parchment from the previously mentioned Codex Aureus of Echternach made between 1030 and 1050 A.D. at the Abbey of Echternach, which is now in Luxembourg but was then part of Germany, from the collection of the German National Museum at Nuremberg. St. Mark's Gospel includes one unique parable. The parable is the short parable of the scattered seed, a kingdom parable similar to those in the Gospel of St. Matthew. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The illustration is Christ with a labarum, a miniature illumination in colored inks on parchment by Pacino del de Buona Gita from a tribute book for Robert of Anjou made in Tuscany, Italy between 1335 and 1340 AD from manuscript Royal 6E 
Roman number 9, Folio 9, British Library, London, England. St. Mark's Gospel is known for the level of detail it provides, but his account of the time of the crucifixion in Mark 15, verse 25, differs from that stated in John 19:14. He says, Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Third hour generally means 9 a.m. St. John's Gospel identifies the time as near the sixth hour, which means noon. John mentions it again in John 19, verse 14. The traditional celebrations of Good Friday, third hour, is observed at the time that he was sentenced by Pilate, and sixth hour as the time of the actual crucifixion, and ninth hour, 3 p.m., as the time of his death upon the cross. The illustration is Nailing Christ to the Cross and Engraving by Gustave Doré from Doré's Grand Bible du Tours, better known by its English title, Doré's English Bible, made in 1866, in this case based on Luke 4, verses 31 to 43. Other unique details not found in the other three Gospels should be mentioned. They are found in St. Mark 16, verses 14 to 18, his account of Jesus speaking to the, to the disciples at the table following his resurrection and before and after delivering the Great Commission to spread the gospel throughout the world. The first is St. Mark's report in verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. The illustration for this final sequence is the appearance of the risen one on the mountain, an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the Pericope book of St. Aaron Trude at Salzburg, produced in southern Germany around 1140 A.D. from the collection at the Bayerische Staatsbibliothek, Munich, Germany. The term hardness of heart has come up before in the context of Jesus' demonstration of divine power over nature in walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee in Mark 6, verses 45 to 52. In episode 9, I discussed the spiritual rather than the literal meaning of the term. Other apostles shed light on this and similar disagreements. St. Luke offered another possible meaning in Luke 24, verse 45, saying, And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Additional clarification is found in St. John's account in John 16. 12 and 13a of what Jesus said to the disciples before he went away into the Garden of Gethsemane on the evening of Monday Thursday before his betrayal and arrest. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Church's traditional teaching is that all faithful Christians should look to the Holy Spirit present within them since their baptism for guidance. That process, as mentioned earlier, is known as discernment. 
After the text of the Great Commission, St. Mark records one more unique statement in verses 17 and 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up servants, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Please recall that one of St. Mark's themes focuses on Jesus' miracles, or as John called them, signs. These signs include the ability to cast out demons, to speak with, quote, new tongues, which means the ability to speak in languages they had not been taught and does not mean the ability to speak in incomprehensible words, technically called glossolalia, and to take up servants and to not be harmed, as St. Peter indeed did in Acts 28, verses 3 to 6, and if they drank anything deadly, not to be harmed, and finally to heal the sick by the laying on of hands. Scholars and theologians are still arguing over whether these special powers mentioned only by St. Mark were granted only to the apostles in the first century or whether they still exist today. In episode 7, 8, 9, and 10, and now in episode 11, I have reviewed the history and authorship of the Gospel of St. Mark and discussed its four major themes. Jesus as the suffering servant, the miracles of Jesus as proof of his divinity, the universality of the offer of salvation for all, and the power of faith, the last of these illustrated in St. Mark's accounts of the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. I hope these episodes have added to your knowledge and understanding of the Gospel of St. Mark. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are from the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode four, St. Paul of episode five, St. Mark of episode seven, St. Peter of episode 11, St. Matthew of episode 14, and St. Luke of episode 15. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the Gospel of Mark, annotated and illustrated, topics discussed in this episode include the turning point verse in chapter 10, the unique content found in chapters 3, 9, 10, 14, 15, and 16, including the two-part illumination of the three women at the empty tomb from the Pericope Book of Henry II, produced between 1007 and 1012 A.D. for Henry II, the last of the Ottonian Holy Roman Emperors in Western Europe. In Layman's Lexicon, there is an unusually large selection of words and phrases of interest for episode 11. They are the entries for crucifixion, disciple-slash-discipleship, faith, Good Friday, Hades, heart, Holy Spirit, Maundy Thursday, miracles, offices, propitiation, Satan, shepherd, sin, son of man, and tongues. From Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, a discussion of Archbishop Cranmer's focus on the importance of heart is found in Part 1, pages 3 to 20, 
and heart as the develop in the development of prayer habits in part four on pages seventy one to eighty one. From the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is discussed with illustrations on pages 13 to 20, with a text box Isaiah and Christian liturgy on page 16. From occasional services for Anglican worship, you will find a traditional office for Good Friday on pages 75 to 101. The video and podcast versions in two parts are linked from the digital library and podcast archive pages. From Paintings on Light, the Stations of the Cross plaques are discussed and pictured on pages 52 to 56 and Station 5 on page 54. From Hear Us, O Lord, Daily Offices for the Laity in Part 3, pages 83 to 128, the book offers complete text and responses for first, third, sixth, and ninth hours, plus Vespers and Compline. Finally, there's Father Ron's blog, a page on our website featuring information on the latest projects, videos, and publications. Entries usually include an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog page either using the links at the top or the bottom of the page, or by entering the direct URL address www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with blog in all small letters. Or you can click the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, which will entitle you to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured we do not share such information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 11 of the New Testament Gospels. Next time in episode 12, I will start our discussion on the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning with its history, authorship, language, intended audience, themes, and style. I will then turn to an examination of the text beginning with St. Luke's unique nativity narrative. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.